The reading for this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. I will be reading it in German. The English translation is on the screen. Das Passafest stand kurz bevor. Jesus wusste, dass nun die Zeit gekommen war, diese Welt zu verlassen und zum Vater zurückzukehren. Er hatte die Menschen geliebt, die zu ihm gehörten, und er hörte nicht auf, sie zu lieben. An diesem Abend aß Jesus zusammen mit seinen Jüngern. Der Teufel hatte Judas, den Sohn von Simon Iskariot, schon zum Verrat an Jesus angestiftet. Jesus aber wusste, dass der Vater ihm alles in die Hand ge gegeben hatte, dass er von Gott gekommen war und zu ihm zurückkehren würde. Da stand er zum Tisch auf, legte sein Obergewand ab und band sich ein Tuch aus Leinen um. Er goss Wasser in eine Schlüssel und begann, seinen Jüngern die Füße zu waschen und mit dem Tuch abzutrocknen. Als er zu Simon, Simon Petrus kam, wehrte dieser ab. Herr, wie kommst du dazu, mir die Füße zu waschen? Jesus antwortete ihm, was ich wir tue, verstehst du jetzt noch nicht, aber später wirst du es begreifen. Doch Petrus blieb dabei. Niemals sollst du mir, mein, mir die Füße waschen. Worauf Jesus erwiderte, wenn ich dir nicht die Füße wasche, gehörst du nicht zu mir. Da sagt Simon Petrus, Herr, dann wasch mir nicht nur die Füße, sondern auch die Hände und das Gesicht. Jesus antwortete, Wer gebabdet hat, der ist ganz rein. Ihm braucht man nur noch den Straßenstaub von den Füßen zu waschen. Ihr seid rein, aber nicht alle. Jesus wusste nämlich, wer ihn verraten würde. Deshalb sagte er, ihr seid nicht alle rein. Nachdem Jesus ihnen die Füße gewaschen hatte, zog hier ein Obergewand wieder an, kehrte zu seinem Platz am Tisch zurück und fragte seine Jünger, Versteht ihr, was ich eben getan habe? Ihr nennt mich Lehrer und Herr. Das ist auch richtig so, denn ich bin es. Wenn schon ich, euer Lehrer und Herr, euch die Füße gewaschen habe, dann sollt auch ihr euch gegenseitig die Füße waschen. Ich habe euch damit die Beispiel gegeben, dem ihr folgen sollt. Handelt ebenso. Ich sage euch die Wahrheit, dein Diener steht niemals höher als sein Herr und ein Botschafter untersteht dem, der ihn gestattet hat. Jetzt wisst ich das und könnt euch glücklich schätzen wenn ihr auch danach handelt. This is God's word. Please be seated. Can you turn me back on? Thank you. It is my privilege and our pleasure 
to welcome Joshua Williams this morning. And I believe it's okay if we refer to you as Josh. Josh, he will be giving the message this morning. Josh is the church planting resident at Christ Community Church. He is married to Lindsay, and together they have three children, Soren, Florence, and Barrett. His family and team are preparing to start a new church in West St. Paul. They desire to plant a gospel-centered church that lives out God's mission of redemption and restoration in community with other Christians. Welcome, Joshua. Good morning. Let me pray really quick and then we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much that um, we get to sit before you and Lord, this isn't just, it isn't just a sermon, it isn't just an expounding on the text, but it is hearing what you are saying for today. It is, it is applying, it is, it is, it is the ex- talking about and the experiencing and explaining of how your word hits us and impacts us today, Lord. And I just pray that you, you would give us ears to hear and, and eyes to see what your word is saying, that you would give us hearts that are receptive. Without, without your work, Holy Spirit, without your work to soften and melt our hearts to hear your word, it is impossible to be formed and shaped by your word. Um, and so I pray that you would soften our hearts, Lord, that you would help us to, to sense what you are I think, calling us to do in response to your word and that you would give us ears to hear. It's easy to be distracted. It's easy to, I think, think about other things. Help us to be present with you, Holy Spirit, and with the scriptures. Help us to be attentive, Jesus, to how your death and resurrection has impacted us. Help us to be attentive, Father, to what you are saying to us as your children. And we just pray for any, anyone who might not know you, who may be an unbeliever here, Lord, that you would help them to hear your voice, and that you would help them to hear the call of the gospel, to know you and to be restored to you through your son, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, I think first off, this has nothing to do with my sermon. It wasn't in the script, but I just think that scripture reading was awesome. <laughs> to hear the word of God in a different language is amazing. Um, and so this also isn't in my script, but it's amazing. Like in Acts 2, when, when the Holy Spirit fell on the early church, they started speaking the gospel in different languages. <laughs> and I mean, just imagine if that were today among us, that you would hear the word of God declared in, in that language. Amazing. Um, Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining uh, us. For those of you online, um, my name is Josh. As you guys heard, um, I'm a church planter and I'm a resident. And uh, just to give you a picture of what that means for me is I'm a, I'm, I, uh, I was launched out of a church in um, Woodbury called Christ Redeemer Church. And um, I'm technically still a resident. I won't be done being a resident until the fall when we will hard launch. Um, but I am on the field right now. I'm, I'm on the ground, and I've been there for two years. So we started off in 2019, um, and the whole purpose and goal of joining them was to, one, discover where was the mission field that we were going to plant in, and then, two, discover a vision and a sense of a call for planting in that area, and then, three, to put it all together. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's almost like, I mean, I've never experienced myself having a baby, um, but 
but I, I think I've watched my wife, and it's like you, you, you start off with this, this thing of a, of a child, and it, it's like this idea, and then all of a sudden it comes, it comes out, and then it's growing. Um, and so, so to, just to explain a little bit about what we're doing, um, again, I don't know if you can throw up just the picture of my family. I love to talk about my family just briefly, um, and I'm going to start the clock because I can really talk. Um, <laughs> But, so that's my wife there um, to, the, to the right of me. Um, I'm holding my youngest, Barrett. Um, it was never our intention to name him something that he would actually be, um, but he really is a bear. He's got a lot of energy. Um, my, the, the one in the middle, he's the oldest. His name is Soren, um, and I love him because he just gets locked into a story. If you were just, a, it's, it's almost like he just knows. Like once your voice starts going into a narrative mode, he just kind of zones out and he's in the land that you're creating. Um, and my daughter, Floey, we, her full name is Florence. We call her Flo, and she's also another one who lives up to her name um, because there's not one um, inch of restriction on her. Uh, there's no sense of rule following in her. There's nothing but a straight flow. Um, and so she, <laughs> she, she literally exists to have fun and to uh, uh, antagonize her, her brothers, and she loves it. Um, so that's my family. But a little bit about West St. Paul. Um, West St. Paul is this... It's this community of 20,000 people approximately in population, and they're surrounded by cities, um, or towns and cities. So St. Paul's to the north. Okay, so West St. Paul, the reason why they're called West St. Paul is because they're west of the North-South River, and the way that so happens to be is the North-South River ends up on top of them, and so now they're west, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> but, but this is even funnier. So Saint, South St. Paul's to the right of them, which is truly south of St. Paul. Um, but St. Paul's on top, Mendota's to the left, Invergrove is to the south, south, and, and so we're surrounded by these cities. What's really unique about West St. Paul is 20,000 people, but every day the population increases to 60,000 people a day. Um, because West St. Paul is kind of like a port city. There is, uh, there's food, there's commerce, there's targets, there's uh, Walmart. The Walmart in St. Paul, uh, people don't go to that one as much anymore in the southern tip of St. Paul. And so now they come to, they come to West St. Paul. Um, and so people go there for meetings, for connecting, for eating, for gathering. It's, it's like a port city. And so the, the thought behind that was, I want to go to a place where it didn't seem like there was a gospel-centered presence, and particularly a church that was going out rather than drawing in. Um, and so there are a lot of churches who are drawing people in, which is an amazing thing, but my heart is to reach people um, who would never step foot in a church. So the vision for Restoration Hope Church, I think at least one of the points, is to be a church that reaches to the unreached in West St. Paul and the surrounding communities. So everything we're trying to do really is to, is to, is to, is to reach out, to go out. And um, it's really cool because a lot of people have that same heart who are on our launch team. So to talk about South, soft launch really quick, um, a soft launch for us, if you get into church planning lingo, it, it means a lot of different things. Um, <clears throat> but soft launch really means that, hey, we're just going to take a chance um, to start services, to preach, uh, to worship together, and to really not have our stuff all together. And so um, I hope I can say this if, if I can't, um, forgive me. But my standard for anything is just above suck. Um, and so, um, and, and it's really great because, it's really great because that means that you, you lower the bar so that people can raise up above the bar. And, and, and they really feel like, once you say that, it takes off all the stress on us. So 
I told our, I told our crew that. I said, hey, our standards just above suck. And our first service was amazing. <laughs> it looked like we were a well-oiled machine, machine, not just because we were trying to just get past that bar, but just took all the pressure. But I really believe that like, if you want to make disciples, I think you have to really make it not necessarily easy, but show how normal it is. So we want to reach everyday believers and show them what everyday discipleship looks like. So we want to reach unreached people. Um, and so the soft launch is, is just taking time to get out the, the kinks and the quirks of our service before we hard launch. Hard launch is when we will become public. We'll say, hey, we're here. Um, and so that'll happen in September, and that's exactly when I'll step off of being a resident. So there's, there's that lingo. Um, and so, yeah, that's us, and we're excited to be. We've been, uh, we've, we've been going now for services for about six weeks now. It, I can't believe it. It's pretty, it just seems like a dream. Um, and I understand I'm in the honeymoon phase, but I really love what I do. I really love caring for our people. I really love walking with them and developing people. Developing people is one of my favorite things to do. Okay, so that's it for the intro. Um, a few weeks ago, we started uh, a set of sermons, a little bit of a series on the core beliefs of our church. And so um, our core beliefs really are just basically saying the core things we believe to really help identify what kind of church we're going to be. And, then, um, and, and also the kinds of things we're going to do for ministry. And so our core beliefs are the gospel word, the gospel community, and the gospel mission. And you're like, what does that mean? Um, that's the whole point of the sermon series. <laughs> and so, uh, so recently we've been talking about gospel community. I won't actually have time to talk about every one of those, but I hope to just give you a little bit of a taste of what we've been talking through. Um, and so we've been talking about gospel community. And just to tell you what we mean by gospel community, a gospel community is, is, is a group of people who have been saved by Jesus and brought into a community to do life together. When you really think about that definition, it's the church. It's you guys. You guys are a massive gospel community. And then the question is, what does a gospel community do? We've, we talked about that uh, three weeks ago. And uh, a gospel community reflects the gospel. And you're like, what does that mean? And so this, the, the sermon that we talked about last week was to dis- define what that actually means. And so with this series, we're really defining what these terms mean. We're showing where we see them in Scripture, but then we're also showing how does the gospel really impact or transform the way we see the Word of God, the Christian community, and the mission. Hence, the gospel word, gospel community, gospel mission. And so, <clears throat> so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about what does it mean to reflect the gospel? What does it mean for you as a church to reflect the gospel? And that's, an, that's a really significant question because it's also answering a question, how do you individually reflect the gospel? And so what I want to do today is I actually just want to look at Jesus. Um, and I want to see how he reflects the gospel. Because in John 13, you get this magnificent scene of Jesus eating with his disciples just before he's about to die. And, and he's, about to show, he's about to show them what it looks like to reflect the gospel. And what he does to show them what it means to reflect the gospel is just simply serve them. He just serves them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at John 13. I won't cover every single verse, but we're really looking at where do we see how serving others reflects the gospel. And I think serving reflects the gospel because of three reasons. Serving mirrors what Jesus did for us. Serving models what Jesus is like. And then serving reminds us how to live. I'll say those again. Serving mirrors what Jesus did for us. Serving models what Jesus is like. Serving reminds us how to live. And just in case you're a note taker, um, you'll see serving mirrors what Jesus did in verses 4 through 11. 
And serving models what Jesus is like, you'll see that in verses 12 through 14, and then serving reminds us how to live in verses 15 through 17. Um, so let's walk through these passages, and let's see how serving reflects the gospel. We'll start with the first point. Serving mirrors what Jesus did. So the gospel of John, it's written by one of Jesus' disciples. You'll notice when you read John, the one whom Jesus loved, or the beloved one, that's, that's John. And he wrote this, and um, he's one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and he gives you this really unique picture of Jesus during his last hours. Um, this is Jesus' last meal, like I said earlier, and he's about to go down a cross, and he's, he's taking this all in. It's one of these unique moments where you see Jesus really showing his humanness, and he's taking this all in. And, and then John says a striking statement about Jesus, and it's, he says this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so everything that you're going to see from John 13 to 17, just in case you want to do a study on it, it's about Jesus loving his disciples to the very last breath of his life. And, and the question is, how does he love his disciples? He takes the position of a servant. And so he takes off his outer garment. He wraps a towel around his waist. He, uh, he pours a water into a basin, which is kind of like a massive bowl for, for washing. Um, and, and then he, he, he gets on his hands and knees, and he starts washing all of his disciples' feet. And there, there are two reasons why that's significant. The first thing, is it's just about his identity. Jesus, Jesus is called the Son of God consistently throughout the Gospels. In Revelation 17, 14, Jesus is called King of Kings. And in, thir- in verses 14 and 16 in our chapter today, he's called Lord and Master. And so one thing's pretty clear to the disciples, pretty clear to the audience that John is writing to, that Jesus is, Jesus is God. He's not just any man, he is God himself. And, and, and I don't want to just assume that's, that's automatically accepted, um, because there might be some people here who are just like, that's new to me, or um, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, but let me just talk about what that means, because that's a strong statement. One of the claims of Christianity is that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God, and what that means is not that he started off as human and then he took on divinity. That's kind of like Greek gods in Greek mythology. No, Jesus started out as God from the beginning of time, even before time began, and he subjected himself through a process of birth. Can you imagine that? God putting himself through a womb? That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. He puts, him, he puts himself through a process, and then he, he, he takes on humanity on himself. <clears throat> and so when you think about that, when you think about what that means for what Jesus is doing, God is serving people. So, so really, when Jesus could really demand, actually, his disciples to serve him, he serves them instead. That's huge. He's modeling something there. The second reason why this is so significant is the meaning of this. In verses 6 through 11, Jesus, he gets into this conversation uh, with one of his disciples about washing their feet. Because Peter, he recognizes that this is ridiculous that the Son of God, God himself, is going to wash his feet. Really, Peter should be washing Jesus' feet, right? But Jesus is doing this for him. And so Peter, Peter tells Jesus in verse 8, by the way, Peter's kind of a little bit of a bonehead. Um, he doesn't quite understand things right away. I mean, he understands it, but he doesn't quite get it. And so Peter says in verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. And so then Jesus tells him, really like matter-of-factly, he just gives it to him straight, and he tells him, if you do not wash, if, you do, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. So Peter halfway gets it. He's like, oh, I, I said something really dumb. <laughs> wash all of me then. Just like, just dump the whole thing on me. And Jesus is like, okay, you're still not getting it, buddy. And then Jesus tells Peter in verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, 
but is completely clean. And you are clean, Jesus tells him. And so what's that about? What, what's, what's Jesus saying to Peter beyond the fact that, hey, Peter, you're dumb, you're not getting it? Jesus, he's washing their feet to really show them, just to give them a picture of what he's about to do for them in the future and, and through his death and resurrection. He's showing them, hey, this is what essentially I'm going to do for you on the cross. And so one thing you should know about um, bathing yourself, not that you need to know about bathing yourself, but, but the disciples back then in their time, they would go to a bathhouse to go take a, to go take a shower or to wash. And so it's almost similar to camping. If you've been camping, you, you go with your flip-flops, right, to, the, to where you got to go take a shower, you wash yourself, and what happens when you walk back? Your feet get dirty. <laughs> and so just like, just like them, they would go to a bathhouse, they would walk back in their sandals, walking in dirty conditions. So first your feet are wet, no matter, how hard, no, how to, no matter how hard you dry them, you collect some dirt, but they're also walking in mud, sometimes animal feces, um, translation poop, and um, they're just walking in that, and, and so every time they step foot in so their own house even, or someone else's house, they have to wash their own feet before they go in because it's unclean. And so Jesus, he uses their feet to show them that, that the dirtiest parts of them, the parts that make them unclean, only he can wash if they're going to be a, be a part of him. So it's an analogy. And so really the dirtiest parts of them really isn't their feet, although it's, it's pretty gross. Um, really the dirtiest parts of them is their heart. And you guys know enough to know that no matter how much you wash yourself in a shower, there's no way for that water to get into the crevices of your heart to clean your heart. And so Jesus is giving them an analogy to say, I have to wash you if you're going to be able to be a part of me. And the way that he washes them is, is by serving them. And so Matthew Henry, a pastor in the 17th, 18th century, um, if you're wondering how that works, late 17th century, early 18th century, he writes this cool illustration of what Jesus is doing here. He says this. I think it might be on the screen. Yes, awesome. It says, Many interpreters consider Christ washing his disciples' feet as a representation of his whole undertaking. He knew that he was equal with God and all things were his, and yet he rose from his table in glory, laid aside his robes of light, girded himself with our nature, took upon him the form of a servant, came not to be ministered to, but to minister, poured out his blood, poured out his soul unto death, and thereby prepared a labor to wash us from our sins. That's pretty deep. <laughs> Jesus tells Peter in verse 7 that, that none of this is going to make sense to him until he dies and resurrects, until he dies on a cross and resurrects from the dead. And that's because washing their feet mirrors what he does for them in the gospel. It's not going to make sense until, until they see his death and resurrection because then, then it's all going to become clear what he was doing. Jesus, he washes away the punishment and the guilt of their sins by his blood. So just, just the picture that Matthew Henry is giving, in the basin is his blood, and his blood, he is washing their hearts with his blood. And he's on his hands and knees doing that for them. So by serving them, Jesus is mirroring what he's doing for them in the gospel. So by dying on the cross, Jesus, he's taking the low position of a servant when really he's in the position of a king. Jesus, he's beaten by people when he should be worshipped by people. He's ridiculed when he should be honored. He pours out his blood when people should be pouring out their lives for him. Jesus is doing this amazing thing 
for people by serving them. And he did it all so that they and actually you, so that, so that me, you and me could, could be washed of our sins and brought into the family of God. So serving people, it mirrors the gospel. It, it does that for people. When you serve people, you're saying that you're laying down your status, um, you're inconveniencing yourself, you're taking up costs to benefit someone else. That's what you're doing when you're serving people. And you look a lot like Jesus when you do that. And I'm getting ahead of myself. That's the next point. So hold on. Um, but you're putting up with people's mess because, man, that's, that's what Jesus did. He put, up, he put up with our mess in order to love us. And so there's one more thing I want you guys to think about. Um, we learned something from Peter because I think our response is pretty similar to Peter sometime. We have a problem with being served. We actually don't like being served for some reason. Maybe, maybe it's because uh, it, just, it, feels, it makes us feel weak or it's inconvenient to us, but, but, but when you look at this, consider this. Let people serve you. Let people serve you. Let people serve you because it's really backwards to think that if I can serve someone else but I don't want them to serve me, that really isn't what the gospel teaches. And so I want you to consider something else. I think you guys do something called gospel community, or no, sorry, community groups, right? Right? So consider this. If you, and just taking it from Jesus' words and just spinning it, if you don't let people in your community group serve you, then really you're not sharing in community. In fact, you have no share in that community if you don't let people serve you. Because if you serve people and it's, and it's just you, about, it's about you serving people, it's really just about you. And it really isn't about, about serving them. But if you, let, if you don't let people serve you, you're actually taking away the opportunity for them to remind you of the gospel and taking away the opportunity from them to reflect the gospel to you, and you're taking the opportunity from yourself to be reminded of the gospel if you don't let people serve you. Because the gospel shines the brightest in the middle of need, and so let people serve you. If you, if you want to reflect the gospel this is so upside-down thinking. Let people in your community group serve you and, of course, serve them. And let people serve you when, when your life's the messiest, like when you just wake up and your hair's a hot mess and you're in your sweatpants. Or let people serve you when your dishes are piled up and they're not clean. Let people serve you when your, the toys are all over the, the, the ground in your house or your just house is a mess. Let people serve you when your grass isn't cut the best. Let people serve you when your garage is just messy. Because that's when, that's, when, that's when people get to see you when you're weak and they get to serve you the way that Jesus served you. So that's how serving mirrors what Jesus did for us. Let's talk about how serving models what Jesus is like. Uh, Jesus, he's teaching the disciples something else. He's reminding them what it means to be a disciple in verses 13 through 14. Let's look at it really quick. He says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So a disciple is an apprentice. Um, a disciple is committed to listening to their teacher, but also following the example of their teacher as they model it. And so Jesus is telling them, hey, if I'm your teacher, you got to follow my example. What am I doing? I'm serving you. But there's a problem with this. Serving was socially unacceptable. To be a servant was just unacceptable. To a Roman person and to a Gentile, you were, you were just being a low-class peasant. There's no way they wanted to do that. They loved power. But for a Jew, it was unacceptable too because for a Jew, they, they didn't want to lose any more dignity than th that they had. They already were looking, they were already being looked at as trash and less than. And so they didn't want to give anybody else any more reason to look at them as less than. 
But Jesus, he wants them to follow them into the lowest place in society because that's what he did for them. When you really think about what Jesus did, he didn't just die as, a, he didn't die as an innocent person, even though we know that to be true. He died a criminal's death on purpose. So he became a criminal for them while he gave them his obedience as a son. And he did that for them. And not just as a, a Lord, uh, not, as, not just as a teacher, he did that as Lord. He did that as God. And so what he is essentially saying is that God took the low position in society. That, that God got on our level and he served us. That's what kind of God you have in the scriptures. That's what kind of God you have in the Bible. That's the kind of God that Jesus is showing God is. And so Jesus' command to serve, as he served, models for people what Jesus is like. So when I was, uh, during my two years in sem- or during my last two years in seminary, I was a mechanic, I was an apprentice, and so my boss's name was Mike. Um, he took me in and he taught me everything I knew, or I know now at least. And so one of the things he said was, hey, I want you to follow my process. Look, it's right there, it's on the list. I want you to follow that process to a T and you won't miss anything. And so I followed his process. And I got so good at following his process, it was almost like Mike was doing the oil changes himself. In fact, people would shake his hand saying, thank you for doing my oil change when really I was the one who did it. I'm not salty about that, but in this example, Mike gets all the glory. And still to this day, when I work in my cars, people are like, hey, where'd you learn how to do that? And I get to talk about Mike. I get to talk about him and what he taught me. And so my work reflects his work. And so when you serve people, you look a lot like Jesus. When you serve people, you look a lot like Jesus. Your serving models his work. And when I say serving, I'm not talking about feed my starving children. I have nothing against feed my starving children. I think it actually does great things. Um, it, it gives you an example, a, a kind of an easy step to learn how to give up your time, but it actually also alleviates hunger for kids and families at different parts of the world. But I think if you really want to reflect the gospel to people, I think you have to tangibly and continually be involved in people's lives and learn to take on their burdens. That the way that you serve people model Jesus is in the midst of relationship. And so when you, when you give up your time to serve people, when you give up your status, your, your, when you give up your convenience to serve people, you look a lot like Jesus. And the only reason why you can do that is because Jesus secures you in your identity as a son and daughter of God. Look at verse 1 really quick. He says, it says this about Jesus. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, he was thinking about who he was. He was reminded that he's a son of God. So the thing that motivated him to go to the cross, the thing that motivated him to, to wash their feet even in his last moments was the fact like, hey, I'm a son and I'm going back to be with the Father. I have everything. I have everything. It was the main motivator. And so through, through Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus, he gives you the same confidence, the same assurance that you are a son or daughter of God in him. And because you have everything in him, you have nothing to lose in this life. And so you can serve. You, can, you could be looked at as trash. You could be misunderstood and still serve people because you know who you are in Jesus. And that was what motivated him. So serving models what Jesus is like to people. It actually reminds us of that ourselves. And so that's the goal of serving, to, to model what Jesus is like. We want to constantly give, we actually want to be reflections of Jesus. That, that's what it means to be a, a, an image bearer. We want to be a reflector of who God is, and it models what Jesus is like. And the reason why we want to model what Jesus is like and how awesome we are is because Jesus is the one who can save people, not us. 
So we, we want people to know Jesus. We want people to love him and worship him because he's the one who saves and transforms people's hearts, not us, not us. And so serving does one more thing for us. It reminds us how to live. And so Jesus, in these verses, in verse 15 through 17, he's providing them with an example of, of how they should live their lives. Let's look at verse 15 really quick. He says, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now, you might look at that and you might think, ah, uh, you might try to qualify that. What do, you, what do you mean, Jesus? Really? Like, you really want me to serve people the way that you serve me? Like, really? Am I supposed to, like, get that serious? But then Jesus, in verse 16, he makes it very clear how serious he is. He says, there, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So repeating truly, truly means that what I'm about to say is really important. It's kind of the same way as like when your mom says, Joshua, Joshua, you know she's serious and you're in trouble, <laughs> but you know they're serious. And so Jesus, he's serious about what he's about to say. And so disciples are students and Jesus is the teacher. Disciples are servants, Jesus is the master. Disciples are messengers and Jesus is the one who sends them. And if our if Jesus is our, if he's our teacher, if he's our master, if he's the one who sends us, then we also should serve others just like he served us. If he laid down his life for us, then man, it seems like the logic is we should lay down our lives for people. And so Jesus, he's still eating with the disciples as he's teaching them this, and, and, a, and a little bit later in verses 34 through 35, he tells them, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you, love, if you have love for one another. And so this is how they should live. Their whole lives are now to be spent reflecting what Jesus is like, what he's done for them, so that people would know who Jesus is and so that people would, would turn and follow and trust Jesus. They would know what he's done for them. And so they are to do this because, well, their teacher and master did it because that's what it means to be a disciple, to follow our teacher, to copy our teacher, to be, to be Christ-like, to be Christ-lookalikes. So when I was a, <clears throat> a senior in college, I wanted to buy a car and had a mentor. His name was Rob, uh, Stephen Robert. He had two first names. And... Um, and he, he said, hey, yeah, I have a car for you. I want you to meet me at the DMV. And so I met him at the DMV, and I know enough to know that whenever you buy a car, you're supposed to give them money at some point, <laughs> right? And there's supposed to be this kind of exchange. So he drives up into, in this 97 Jeep Cherokee Sports, like kind of like forest green. It's awesome. It's great for mudding. And, um, and, and so he tells me to go, just let's go inside to the DMV. And so he starts filling out the paperwork, and and I'm watching him, and I'm kind of letting it happen. I'm just like, okay, at some point I'm going to pay him money. And he, he pays for the license plate. He, play, he pays for the tag, and, and we get outside. And I'm, like, really uncomfortable. And I was like, okay, so, hey, hold on. How much do I owe you? And he says, nothing. I was like, what? He goes, nothing. And it was a really awkward pause. <laughs> and, was, and he says, you know why? Because every time you drive this car, I want you to understand what the gospel is like. I want you to understand that... Every time you drive this vehicle, you've done nothing. 
You've done nothing to receive it. You didn't buy it. You didn't earn it. You did nothing. I want you to be reminded that this is what Jesus' death and resurrection does for you. It's a gift of grace to you, and you do nothing for it. He said that. (laughs) Like in the parking lot. And just look how awkward. That would have been like a weird scene just to watch two guys, and he's saying this. I'm just like, wow. I'm like, are you kidding? He's like, yeah, here you go. And so I just, I was just really inspired by that because Stephen, the way Stephen served me really reminded me, this is what disciples do. They serve people so that they're reminded of the gospel. And that was costly. I mean, he, he gave me the car. He paid for it. I didn't do anything for it. And to this day, I mean, I still tell that story, and I'm reminded, man, this is the kind of disciple I want to be. I want to do things in people's lives so that they are reminded of the gospel. I want them to be blown away by the costliness of, of serving them so that they know that this is what Jesus did to them. And so the disciples, they knew that Jesus, he was calling them to a life that was costly. But Jesus is reminding them that this is what disciples do. This is what they do. It'll cost us in order to share the gospel with people. It'll cost us relational equity. It might cost us, yeah, friendship. It might cost us maybe a job, maybe a career. It might, we might lose friendship with neighbors. It'll cost us. It costs Christ. It might cost us to, to actually serve and demonstrate um, what Jesus is like through our service, but this is what Jesus did for us. So my encouragement to you is to look for opportunities to serve people. Look, look for opportunities to serve people in your community groups. Try to hijack washing the dishes for one of the wives or for one of the husbands. Try to hijack cleaning up the grill after they're done. Serve, look, look for opportunities to serve your non-believing friends and neighbors. Look for opportunities to serve people in your city. Because when you do that, it reminds people that this is what Christians look like. So anytime I tell people in West St. Paul that we're planning a church, they ask us why. I mean, people are skeptical. Why are Christians coming in and why are they trying to start another church? And, and so I just tell them, hey, we, we really want to be, um, we want to bless the community. We want to be engaged in the community because that's what we see Jesus doing in the Bible. And it's amazing. It's amazing the response they give. They're like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. And then I, I ask them if they have a background, if they read the Bible, like, no. It's just amazing to me how if people have, when they have no religious background or or they're not reading the Bible, maybe their version of Christianity is kind of like third-hand smoke. They just kind of get whiffs of it. It's amazing how much they know that this is what Jesus is like. And when you serve people, you're all of a sudden reminding them, hey, not just Jesus, but his people are really like this. So you know the first century church, they, they did this. Um, and it swept all of Rome. I mean, literally, it's, if you read Acts, it says thousands, two thousands, three thousands and more. Eventually, it took, by, by 147 AD, they swept all of Rome. And my heart and my desire is that Jesus would sweep all of St. Paul with the gospel. I want him to sweep West St. Paul and the surrounding communities with the gospel like that. I would love to see this massive uprising of many people coming to faith in Christ. And I just pray that, well, I pray that you would join me in that desire. And so, serving people reflects the gospel in three ways. It mirrors what Jesus did for us. It models what Jesus is like. It reminds us how to live. And we want to be the kind of people, I think, that serves people. We, I think 
just imagine, I tell my church this all the time, imagine if every single one of our gospel community groups, that's what we call them, were serving people like this all the time. If we just lived this way, if we gave up of our lives to model and reflect Christ, what, what would that, just imagine what that would be like. It, it would transform lives. It would, it would change the way people not only see who Jesus is, but it would change the way they live. And that's just what I desire for all people. I want people to know that this is what Jesus is like, and I want them to begin to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you, <clears throat> you're not just somebody who, who talked, but who, who demonstrated it. And even Jesus, I, I love the fact that you, you not only simply modeled, but you're God in the flesh who came down and actually served us. You're like that king who saw his people and came among us. You didn't look, at, you didn't look afar, but you, you, you came among us. And that literally is a story of Scripture. That, that when Adam and Eve sinned and, and they were separated from you, you never stopped pursuing them, but you constantly served them. It cost you, in, in terms of our understanding of finances, of currency, of money, it cost you a lot. It cost you a lot. It cost you more than we could ever offer, and yet you still did it to demonstrate your love towards us. And so thank you. Thank you for doing that, Jesus. Help us to sit in that. Help us, help us to sit in what you have done for us. Let the sermon, let your word read us and address the thing in us that, that this sermon, this John 13 brings up in us and help us to, to rest in you Help us to, to trust in you. I think if anybody here is kind of feeling, man, I'm not serving enough or I should do better at that, help them to be reminded that Jesus not only simply dies for them, but in his death for them, he takes away all guilt from them. And he doesn't ask them to do better because he has given them the grade. He, he is their performance for them. And help them to know that there's nothing that they need to do um, in order to be better in your eyes, but you, you love them as if you love Jesus. And so help us to sit in that, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, Josh is going to stay up here because in a moment we're going to pray for him. And I also have some, uh, just some follow-up questions about how to do that and uh, some, some questions about the church plant. Uh, before I go there, let me cast a little bit of a vision. And, and for those of you that have been around for a while, you know this, that our church is all about church planting. And we want to support church plants, coach church planters, be a part, uh, all about that work. Because one of the uh, ways we express our mission to join God in the rule of our city and world is to see that the church becomes walkable through all our city. And to hear about this gospel work happening in West St. Paul is one of the ways that we accomplish that purpose. So if you're thinking about how can I uh, practically, tangibly uh, jump in and support this work, uh, some of the ways that I've given guidance before are these. Uh, number one, uh, advocate for this work. If you know folks in this area, if you know folks in West St. Paul uh, that are looking for a church, that are curious about church planning, if you know folks that uh, don't follow the Lord, but they're really open to pursuing spiritual things, connect them with this plant. Uh, so that's one thing you can do. Uh, another thing you can do is support them. We have a link on our website and the, uh, the journal page uh, to support financially this uh, church plant work, and we would encourage you to do that. Or number three, uh, we're all on the same team here. So maybe you got pushed by the Spirit 
uh, to consider joining this work. Uh, we as a church leadership would encourage that. If there's some curiosity that God has been placing on your heart as you listen to Josh preach and share his vision about West St. Paul, lean into that. Talk to me about it. I can put you in touch with him and his team. Uh, we would love to send folks from Trinity who are called by the Lord to be a part of this work. Uh, and the last way to support is through prayer. And that's one of the things uh, I want to learn uh, right now. But before I get to the question about prayer requests, some more maybe tangible stuff. So you said you, there's a soft launch going on right now. You can take the mask off, by the way. We got somebody that was recently tested and somebody vaccinated up here, so uh, we, we're all good here. Uh, so uh, you are doing a soft launch. Where is that happening? When do you meet? Yeah. Uh, just some of that, some of those details. Yeah, um, so we meet every Sunday at 4 p.m. at Evolve Workplace. That's the place. Um, and it's on Wentworth and Robert Street, just behind Walmart, um, east of Walmart. And so that's where we meet. We meet there every, every Sunday at 4. What was the, sec what was the second part of the question? Uh, yeah, that was it. Where, was it? Okay. where do you meet? Four o'clock. Uh, and so folks from here, they can come check it out. Yeah. Is, it, is it open come to today. the public? Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> come today. Come, come later today. Yeah. This is, uh, so it's open to the public. Other folks can ju yeah. jump in, visit, support that way. And then when you look at the fall, is that uh, going to be similar time location? Is that the plan? Are you switching it up? Yeah, we're switching to the mornings in the fall. Right. Um, so we'll be meeting, we haven't quite figured it out, but either 9 or 10 in the morning. Right. Do you know the location yet? Still, we're still going to meet in Evolve. The, the beautiful thing about Evolve, it's a co-worker space, which I don't know if you know what that is, but it's an amazing concept. Um, but they have a whole bunch of rooms. So they, right now we're meeting in a room that in a non-COVID world would probably fit 120 people max, um, but in a COVID world, probably 80. But when we grow too big for that, uh, Lord willing, um, there is another space we can just literally walk, like walk to the other side of like the hall and it'll seat 300 people so um so there's enough people and we'll meet there and there so tell me a little bit about the, your favorites about West St. Paul and the surrounding cities and neighborhoods. So th talk about is there a favorite place to walk? Is there a favorite place yeah. to grab coffee, go out to eat? If you do date night with Lindsay, like what are, what are your favorites? What are the, some of the things you're thinking of when it comes to your favorite parts of that Man, city? Man, the food part's going to be hard. Um, so like if I could have any job, it would be eating for a living um, and trying out food as long as I had a membership somewhere. Um, but a, a lot of good places to eat, like Boulevard, uh, Boulevard Tavern is really great. Great beer. Um, the best waffle fries and seasoned sour cream is amazing. Mm -hmm. If you've never had that combo, you need to try that. Even though it's high calorie, do it anyways. Um, I think the best places to walk is Dodge Nature Center. They kind of have, it's weird, they have this like Nature Center like smack dab in the area. Um, best places, I mean, I love Caribou. Um, the cool thing about West St. Paul is that it's, it's, it's a part of, you know, surrounding, the surrounding communities. And so a lot of people kind of, if you want to say double dip, there's this place called Black Sheep Coffee, if, if you've never been there. Um, it's amazing. They, and they, they roast their own beans. It's awesome. Great food, great um, coffee, and they have other kind of specialties that they make there. Um, and we just... I think we just like, we like the parks there. The parks are pretty fun. They have a splash pad in Harmon Park um, that's on the west side of Robert Street. But then they also have the West St. Paul Sports Complex, which is really close to Evolve. Um, it's really fun. And last question before prayer request. So you shared the name of the, the church plan. How did you come up with the name? What's the meaning behind it? Because I'm sure like, if yeah. you're like me, like you put a lot of thought into that. So yeah. unpack that a little bit. Um, I, I just, I have, uh, the way that God saved me, he, he saved me 
um, not, not by my choice, I was looking for him to, to lead me into a D1 basketball scholarship somewhere and then play the NBA. That didn't happen, obviously. Um, but, but after he saved me, I just became really passionate about the gospel, and I always wanted to share the gospel. And I just didn't know what it was, but I knew the word gospel. I don't know how that happened, um, by God's grace. But I, I love, one of the ways I love sharing the gospel is the four-part story. Um, it's probably one of the easiest ways to share the gospel is to tell that story, the creation, fall, redemption. Some people call it new creation. Some people call it restoration. And what I love about the restoration is right now we're in this age where God is restoring all things to himself through his son Jesus. And like everything we do now as Christians, it's kind of like a movie preview of the movie to come. And so we're, since we're in this space, this age of restoration, I just thought, man, I want people to know that this is the part of the story we're in because it clarifies who God is for people. And then hope, we want to restore the hope of the gospel. We really believe that if cities, if people, if places are going to be transformed, it really is going to be when people's hearts are changed by the gospel. That literally when someone's restored to God, um, they, they are restored in their, not just in relationship with God, but they're also restored in the way that they view their friends, their, uh, any relationship, their spouse, or even their coworkers. They're restored in how they see the creation and how they treat it. And so I just think, man, I want to restore that hope to people's hearts. Um, so we want to just change the way people see the gospel. And so therefore, restoration hope. And I got to add this because I can't take credit for it. But I was actually talking with um, one of the first members of our team was a, was a 60-year-old lady. And she's given like the last 10 years of, you know, the best parts of her life to us. And um, I just thought that's awesome. And so we were just talking about it. And she's like, what about rest? Like, I had restoration, but I had community or city. She's like, what about hope? And we talked about it. I was like, I like that. Mm-hmm. And you get credit for that. So That's good. That's good. Her name's Lori if you ever meet her. Rusty and she came up with the hope part of it yeah. too. Yeah. That was a good move though because I, the city church thing has been overdone. Yeah. Uh, speaking from a guy that yeah, yeah. Church, yeah. <laughs> like everybody, everybody's doing that. So good, good, good. To listener. be fair, I was thinking about city because of Trinity City. So. All right. All right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it so. became trendy. I would avoid it. Um, anyway, <laughs> how can we, uh, how can we pray for you? Yeah, you know, so the first three years of a church plant is about establishing a church. And um, we actually had, I actually had a number two guy leave. He literally, he's, I think he's going to be driving in an hour to Iowa moving. We have to move back yesterday. So lost that guy. And um, it's amazing. People stepped up. But the first year is really about developing leaders. Um, And so pray that God gives me the creativity and the bandwidth to be able to do that while doing other things. Um, pray, I, we just got an assistant. She's giving me five hours of her time for, for every week. And so um, pray that that, that works well because she, she's literally going to give me like 15 hours back by doing that. Um, pray, we're, we're hoping to get to 40 people. We love Acts 29. Um, and when I say we, mostly me, but I think our people are learning about Acts 29. Um, one of the things that we, one of the last requirements we need to be able to hit to be a part of Acts 29 is to have 40 people as a part of our launch group. Right now we have um, 22 people now because we lost, we lost the Oswalds, the number two guy, and then we have a guy who's going to seminary. It's just too much. Um, it's just too much for him to be able to church plant and full-time job and go to seminary, and he's going to have baby number two in July. So, um, so we're going to be at 22 people, but we just, I think for, for the sake of energy for our people, um, we're doing a good job of making sure they don't serve too much. Um, that sounds weird, even what I just preached. Um, but, but we want our people to be healthy. We believe in healthy people creates healthy disciples. Um, so so pray, for, pray for that 40 people by July. It sounds audacious, but 
We've seen the Lord do amazing stuff for us during our time. So that's a huge way to pray. And last thing, um, there's a community. So if I could just say this really quick, the de- demographic of West St. Paul is 64% uh, white, 22% Hispanic, 8% black. And we, I would just love um, a way to figure out how do we reach um, the Hispanic people in that area, the, the, yeah, just that population. And so we literally don't have any, I'm half Hispanic, but nobody knows that. I mean, you don't think that. So, um, but so I can eat the food that, that gets me in, but I don't even speak it. And so I just, I would need somebody, I think the Lord to provide that at some point. Right. Absolutely. So, and you guys, uh, probably last prayer request, looking for a home. And that's always a big deal for a church yes, planner. Yeah. Pray for this. Yeah. Uh, this is cool. This is good news. Uh, we've been dying. We've been trying to look for a home in West St. Paul because we want to be in the city that we're reaching. But since South St. Paul is actually pretty, like, it's, it's a part of it, I asked my neighbor four years, or four, four years ago, four, four days ago, if she would be willing to sell us their house. It's like 1,700 square feet. Um, it's, it would meet our needs. Like, we want to host people. And she's like, come on in. And she's like, what are you asking? And I said, well, this is how much we could go. She called her son, didn't tell him. And, and he's like, hey, you could probably get this much. And it was the number we said was the highest we could go. <laughs> and so it's, 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 it's going, it looks like it's going through process. We were not going to be at 20%. Um, in order for us to actually afford that house, we would have to be at 20%. And just this last week, somehow we got, like, from people, we got 20% down. Um, so, so just looks like the Lord's doing that, but pray that happens because literally we will, it seems like we will have a house by the end of the summer. Yeah, that's a big deal, so, especially big in deal. this market. Absolutely. Five minutes from Evolve Workplace, so. Perfect, perfect. All right, let's yeah. pray, brother. Get over here. Lord, we are so grateful that you are raising up Restoration Hope Church. We're thankful for Josh and his team. Continue to establish this team. Raise up leaders to help him um, and work shoulder to shoulder with him. Help him to reach 40 um, people in his team as they um, travel this road to to launch in the fall. Uh, Lord, help them to reach everybody in that neighborhood. um, Regardless of the background, regardless of their race, Lord, help them to reach that diverse Mm -hmm. city and that the, the church there would reflect everybody that, that dwells there and calls West St. Paul and their surrounding community their home. Thank you, Lord, for potentially providing a, a home, a uh, place for hospitality, for ministry to happen. We pray that if this is your will, Lord, that it would go through, uh, that you would give um, both parties the, the perseverance to, to get this done, and then that you would bless this physical space, Lord, for your glory. Thank you so much for Josh. Thank you so much for his team. Thank you so much, Lord. Uh, that even during these trying times, um, when many of us are so isolated from one another, we can still hear that your gospel is going forth Mm -hmm. and your church is growing and you are making the gospel walkable in our city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right.